0: Oh, good morning, Hillcrest family. It's good to see you on this beautiful uh, mid-February day. We're in the 40s. Man, I thought we lived in Wisconsin. This is a beautiful heat wave. Uh, It it is good to see you guys. Um, If you're new around here, uh, we just feel like we're some beggars that have found some bread and want to share it with everyone. We just anchor our lives in the text and, uh, and sing songs. To God's glory and then uh, go and live our Monday to Saturday to, to his glory and our joy. and we've been in Luke and um, and a question that has been hitting me uh, what what are we shaped by? what what is shaping us? Because everywhere I turn, I'm bombarded by um, <laughs> by some hot take or or influencer that wants to impact the way I think, feel, live, and uh, something on Insta or TikTok that is vying for my affections. Everywhere I turn, and it's it's this word that starts to get elicited in my heart that they are attempting to influence me. By what's shaping you? And and there's an emotion that I think comes out of the text this morning that we're going to see in the Pharisee's life, that is one that often starts to erupt in me. Here's uh, what we're going to see in the interaction with Jesus this morning. And after looking around at them, Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees, in, the, in, the, in their interaction with Jesus, are filled with fury. <laughs> and they're filled with fury and disgust with one another what might they do to Jesus. And so today, man, man, I'm apologizing on the front end. There are going to be a lot of ideas flying your way. Too many ideas. So we're going to try and wrangle those ideas as best we can. But here's one of the main threads. Is this emotion of fury is elicited from the Pharisees. And we've seen interactions between them and Jesus. And the question is, What is eliciting those emotions in them, and is that a proper response to the person and work of Christ? Here's the previous interactions we've seen in Luke thus far with the Pharisees. There was a hole in a roof, and Jesus demonstrated his ability to forgive sins. How did the Pharisees respond? They accused him of blasphemy. They said, only God can forgive sins. And then we saw last week, Bruce did a great job unpacking, or two weeks ago, With our kids, dinner at Levi's, Jesus hangs with sinners. And rather than them making him unclean, he makes them clean. And the religious leaders instead have an accusation, Jesus shouldn't hang with sinners. Last week, we saw another interaction, Jesus' disciples don't fast, to which the religious leaders accuse Jesus and his team that they should be fasting, and they're breaking the law by not fasting. And then this morning we're going to see two more interactions with the Pharisees around the idea of Sabbath. That Jesus' disciples are picking a grain on Sabbath and Jesus is going to heal on the Sabbath. They accuse him of unrighteousness and then, filled with fury, discuss what they should do with him. So the question is, what is shaping us? And when those emotions start to bubble up, Are they pointed and directed in the right way, or what are they revealing about our hearts? But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Luke 6, open up to Luke 6, or there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And every time I say that, does anyone else in their head finish that sentence or in the overhead bin? Does anyone else finish it that way? Every time, every time. Luke 6, and we're going through verse 11. Here's how Luke records it, so that we might have certainty in who Jesus is. He continues to record these interactions with the Pharisees. And on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On a second occasion, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man, again, Luke, organizing things not chronologically, but thematically, compiles these two interactions. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching a man who was there. Whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. We see this interaction again. These Pharisees' spiritual killjoys resist Jesus and demonstrate, demonstrate their misunderstanding of the law, the Sabbath, and therefore their misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And so this morning, we're just asking the question, what is shaping us so that we might not miss the person and work of Jesus for whom Luke is writing that we increase our certainty? So pray with me. And uh, and there are going to be a lot of ideas. I apologize in advance. In my attempt to sometimes consolidate the ideas, it doesn't always work. This might be one of those Sundays, but we trust that you are also trying to process and hear from God. So pray with me as we dig into the text this morning. Uh, to understand a little bit more fully what's shaping us and, and how these Pharisees are, are reflecting what has been shaping them. God, you're so good. Help us hear from you this morning through your word. Uh, whatever noise we might be hearing or conflicted by, m- may, you, may you move it from our hearts and minds so that we can hear from you through your word this morning uh, to be shaped by it and by you. Always for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So, two general points flowing under that idea. Don't be deceived by the simplicity of just these two points. (laughs) The Sabbath is a gift to be enjoyed. And what the Pharisees experience is actually their misunderstanding of that law leading to a misunderstanding of the person of Jesus. And so, we're just going to start here on a broad level. The Sabbath is a gift to be enjoyed. That's the context. Jesus enters in last week into fasting. This week, he's entering into the Sabbath. And on a Sabbath. <laughs> well, why does he choose at this particular occasion? And he'll do it again in the future. Why does he choose the Sabbath? I think this is just so close to their hearts. This is like, man, it, it, this is so close to their hearts. It's hard for them to see beyond this because this was a big deal. <laughs> why was the Sabbath a big deal? Well, because we think it goes back to creation. How many days did it take for God to create the world? Six. And then what did he do? He rested. (laughs) Now, now did God need to rest? No! He, He rested to model for us what life could look like under his care. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And we get to see the story continue in Exodus where this is fleshed out more. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner. Who is within your gates for the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. <laughs> I mean, in an agrarian society where people needed to farm to produce, God says, rest. <laughs> I mean, what a concept of what it means to rest in his provision. And then in the giving of the law in Exodus 34, there is a law describing this day. Exodus 34, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day, you shall rest in plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Now, what, is that, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> well, how do we apply this law to our life? Ought we do nothing? Can I, can I stand up? Can I sit down? Well, what exactly does this mean? And so the question is, how, how would I apply this law for that Israelite nation? How would we apply this law? Well, we understand they're looking at it, believing the Sabbath was intended to provide rest. There was an intent behind God instilling this law to provide rest, and it was for their good. It wasn't to have them be frustrated, and it was intended for them to actually experience goodness, the goodness of God, but then the Pharisees did what? They began to make it work to rest from work. They actually designed what was intended to free people from work. They made work. And they started to build these hedges around that original law to try and apply it, right? What would it mean? How, how do we understand what it means to truly keep this day holy? And, and, and there were severe consequences for breaking this, so they wanted to make sure. I think well-intended. How do we apply this? And those hedges just in, continued to increase. In the Mishnah, there's a there's a list of 40 minus 1, 39. 39 ways that this would get applied. Here's 22 of them. The Sabbath should be a day without sowing, plowing, reaping, threshing, grinding, kneading, baking, shearing, spinning, weaving, washing, beating, dyeing, tying, untying, writing, erasing, building, tearing down, hitting with a hammer, transporting objects, or paying someone else to do the same. Now, are those in the law? No, but we're trying to apply it. How do we understand what it means to keep the Sabbath holy? And they would begin, one illustration would be, you couldn't go but a certain distance from your home, and so they would sit on a chair, and that chair would become home. And they would go the appropriate distance from their home, set it down, sit on the chair, claiming it as home, so that they could continue on a further distance. Trying to stay within the guardrails of the law to apply it. Jesus steps into that situation. Here's what he says. <laughs> On a Sabbath, while he was going to the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Four laws from their mind are being broken in what is taking place. And so Jesus steps into the situation and attempts to provide some clarity. And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Well, why is Jesus telling us the story about David? I think he's trying to make an argument from the lesser to the greater. If we're simply plucking grain, lesser, do you remember what David did? Something kind of big. He ate the showbread, the bread of presence. This is kind of a big deal. And so if we're not giving him a hard time, what is going on here in your application of what is lesser? And second, he gives another lesser to greater argument about himself. He says, so if David did this, lesser, who do you think I am? (laughs) And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus now declaring more reality about who he is and their misunderstanding of the law. The Sabbath, leading to a misunderstanding of them. And so last week, we just reflected, where might we find ourselves on that pendulum? As we experience day-to-day decisions, do we sometimes swing where we require our application and understanding of the rules, judge people for their inability to follow those rules, and seem to get more excited about the rules than Christ himself I tend to be on that side, <laughs> trying to move towards a healthier perspective. Others, maybe you find yourself on the other side where, why, why make any I mean, just let people do whatever they want to do. <laughs> minimal boundaries, promoting minimal, minimal boundaries and following Jesus and promoting a, a greater sense of openness. A- and you're cheapening the grace That was purchased. Well, where do you find yourself on that pendulum? As we enter this second encounter, we're asking, how do we and what emotion starts to stir up that might reveal where we find ourselves? Because the Sabbath was a gift to be enjoyed, but sometimes we start packaging laws and rules around it as to not break that law as intended. The Sabbath then for these Pharisees when misunderstood actually led to a misunderstanding of Jesus. Here's the second story. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and I love this. Jesus doesn't go on healing and demon demon possession like casting out demon tours, right? He's always teaching. He's always proclaiming the gospel, always. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. You guys right-handed? Any left-handed people in the room? (laughs) Man, it's a rough life for you, Janice. It's just a rough. I mean. So I, I just assume, why does Luke include that deal? Because for a majority of us, we're right-handed. This is our world, right? Writing, activity, jobs, productivity. This guy's world has been challenged and compromised for a very long time. And so Jesus, seeing the need and opportunity, steps in. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered head, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood. And Jesus said to them, We're in the fifth confrontation here, where he is going to demonstrate again. He's the boss, the boss of the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to destroy it? An obvious question. What's the answer? Save life. <laughs> If the Sabbath was intended for our good, and Jesus says, should we do harm or destroy life or or do good? The obvious answer, do good. And yet, is that their response? No. Instead, he looks around, says to the man, stretch out your hand, and his hand was restored. And what's their response? Fury. (laughs) This rage and anger starts to envelop their heart and they begin saying, what are we going to do with this man? So I can't help but think, what what would that look like? When that emotion starts to come up in my heart, where is it stemming from? Now I look around (laughs) and, and, and in my own home, when my daughter doesn't quite do all that I in my head would want her to do, there's an emotion that starts to well up in my heart Fury. When I look around our country and some of the depravity and the shift away from what seems like the clearest way to live, what emotion starts to well up in my heart? <laughs> Rage. Now, what's that connected to? And I'm going to do my best. Here's at least how it makes sense in my head. What's that connected to? My inability to personally control the situation. <laughs> When I'm unable to exercise the type of control that I'd like, it tends to then lead to some level of anger, frustration, rage. Where's that come from? I think it's coming from a sense of fear. (laughs) That I'm fearful that if this situation doesn't happen the way it's framed out in my head, then the next logical statement is is this, and then this is going to happen. And so what's actually producing the rage or fury is actually a fear of the loss of control of the situation. What in our society gets celebrated? A humble pause to assess and determine what might be the best course of action? Does does wisdom get celebrated in our culture? It doesn't seem to me Instead, criticism, rage, and fury seem to dominate our culture. Hot takes and some perspective seem to dominate every response, and are those those responses invalidated? No, instead, they seem to be validated and elevated so that if you respond with rage and fury and criticism, those are, are the responses that get more airway. The question I start asking is Have I joined in the chaos? (laughs) I watch the news and I watch two newscasters shout over each other, not listening to each other's arguments. There's a fury that starts to rage in our hearts. What does Jesus have to say about that as we observe the Pharisees? Because in my head, there's some criteria that I start to apply. Because we all have rules. Is that fair? We all have these rules and we think, feel, and apply those rules in our every single day circumstance. The question then is, where do those rules come from? Where where did I get that perspective? Where did I get that it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath? Where did that come from? Why would I be filled with fury if Jesus was going to heal someone's life? Where did, that, where did that come from? Where did that rule stem from? And if we're longing to be biblically saturated and claiming that the text is driving our understanding of our application of circumstances in life, we want to evaluate the intent of those rules because the Bible's comprehensive, I think, but not exhaustive. Does the Bible reference every single detail that we might encounter? No. So we need to apply wisdom as we experience these different scenarios. You feeling the weight of all the ideas flying at you right now? Yes. Because I go, there's an emotion that the Pharisees start feeling, rage. Where does that come from? Their misunderstanding and application of the law and their misunderstanding of Jesus. We too have these rules in life. Ideally, they're coming from a biblically saturated worldview. And we evaluate as we make these decisions or experiences. But ideally, one more step, and I hope this step is obvious. We're pointing people back to a loving God. Not to the rule, but to a loving God. Around here, we have a heart to be disciples who make disciples. Around here, it's following Jesus, building community, and seeking transformation. And so you've seen this graph, I think, before, right? Where this journey of life with Jesus is is a step towards more grace every single day and it becomes this sense where sometimes I look back and I go, why isn't this person figuring it out yet? Why haven't they quite arrived where I am? Or I look ahead and I go, man, why is that person so much better than me and I maybe feel guilt or shame because I'm not quite where they are? Rather this journey just becomes a fuller understanding of who God is and a fuller understanding of the forgiveness I've experienced. And that just continues to grow to glory. So I was meeting with one of our leaders this past week, and, and, and they changed the paradigm a little bit. They, they switched it up. And I appreciated a little bit of the new lens they provided because it's still with this heart to be disciples, but now they said, David, we're on a journey, <laughs> Right? There is a journey being had, but what is that journey towards? Or join Jesus? And, and there is a fence. there is a fence that, that guides that. We talk about it around here, right? We don't want Hillcrest and the doors to Hillcrest to be narrower than the doors to heaven. But we also don't want the doors to Hillcrest to be wider than the doors of heaven. There is a fence. And we're all at different points in this journey. And, and sometimes when I look across the way, sometimes to my spouse and I go, man, just figure it out, right? I wouldn't say that to Casey out loud necessarily, just in my head. <laughs> Maybe you talk to your spouse. You're like, why can't you figure this out already? Why is it taking you so long? But it's just looking at someone else's journey towards Jesus, But sometimes, in this movement, we might just focus on the person. Outside of a guideline or parameters, we just say, man, just I hope you figure life out. Whatever works for you. And we just kind of have a cheap grace of an individual, and we focus on a person. Others of us, Maybe focus specifically where we are at in this journey, and it becomes all about the practice and the rules of dialing in the rules as best we can. (laughs) Others of us maybe try and figure out just exactly where that fence is. Because we want to make sure we're in the fence. And just to make sure, what might we do? (laughs) Narrow the fence. but then just to make sure that we don't go outside of those, what might we do? Narrow the fence again. And now where has our priority and energy been shifted to? Man, missing the very intent for which God provided these things to happen. And my heart, how do I know I might be focusing there? When fury starts to erupt in my heart, where is my focus? Instead, what I hope we do around here, there clearly is a fence, right? We just updated our statement of faith to try and focus on the salvific issues of this journey with Jesus, but I hope for us, we're trying to bring people to the well. Jesus said, I offer living water. I am the bread of life. I am living water. Anyone who comes to me will no longer thirst. People are chasing empty wells, and we actually think there's an opportunity for life in Jesus' name. How do we invite them to this? We tell many gospel stories on our Monday to Saturday. What, what do I need to hear when that rage starts to erupt when my, my, my kids aren't quite behaving the way I'd want? David, do you remember how gracious you are with me in a recognition of the fallenness of this world? <laughs> Your kids need more Jesus. Man, I, I need to be restored for better. I need the cross And I'm confident there is a new creation where things will be made new. So when I look around the society and things aren't going quite the way I want, and there's an emotion that starts to bubble up in my heart. What's that emotion? For the Pharisees, it was rage. It was fury. Jesus' call to Peter was, let down your nets. Let down your nets in your public, social, personal. And then inviting people to communion with God. Who are those people? that God has actually placed you in their life to invite them, wherever they're at in their journey, to more life with Christ, to truly be people helping people find life with Jesus, one life at a time. Confident that prayer is a fundamental component. So a lot of ideas. Here was one attempt to try and apply the context of sabbath and a misunderstanding of jesus and his intent to a circumstance in my life so here's the hope to maximize to maximize our happiness we are to be ever conscious of god's love and generous provision in all the details of life the way i wake up the way i work the way i care for my family constantly aware of his provision i remember one of the things for me just i love about farmers as, as a, a very white-collar guy, I just thought, where does water come from? Well, I turn on the faucet, and it's there, right? I'm less aware of God's provision in all the details. And yet, there's the Sabbath, there's the intent is to continue to give us an awareness of God's provision. In our society, one of the ways it seems to get expressed poorly is the celebration of leisure. The lie leisure tells is that if you just did nothing, you'd be happy, <laughs> You know, I was, if you just stopped working, then, then you'd really achieve what your soul is craving. I was reading this Reddit uh, document recently, and, and there was a, a person on there that was complaining about working a 40 hour work week and, and how it was, it was affecting their life, and how what they really needed was more time off, and, and their oppressive uh, employer was not providing. Uh, freedom to just walk away whenever they wanted for their, for, their, uh, for their sanity. And so they were ready to quit and just said, why do I need this job? The lie is, you'll just be happier if you do nothing. <laughs> There's one end of the extreme. On the other, here's where maybe I wrestle. <laughs> the lie that work tells us, David, you did it. you know how good you are? you and you alone are responsible for all that was accomplished. And if you put in another 10 hours, just wait for how much more productivity? Yeah, yeah, your team. Yeah, 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 all these other circumstances. God, he might have had some role, but really, really, you know who's responsible? You and you alone. And you'll be happier if you just accomplish a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So stay in. Maybe 70, 80 hours a week. Just stay in a little bit longer because then you're going to be really productive. Instead, maybe you hear the negative. You're a failure and you have no value unless others admire your work. And I go, sometimes for me, man, God, if I just put in one more hour If I just do a little bit more kingdom work, then then that person's going to see you more fully. Instead, how do you not make rules about work or rest, but rather try and find what it means to be happier if we work, being ever conscious of God's love and generous provision in all the details of our life, including our work? How would we find rest in him more fully? And so, here's here's some encouragements this week. The context is Sabbath. Those emotions of fury reveal something about their thinking and their misunderstanding of Jesus. So, it's not ultimately about Sabbath. It's ultimately about not missing life as Jesus intended. But I want to try and apply it to the context Jesus brings us in, which is Sabbath. Sabbath. So those who believe and promote that God is pleased by our keeping rules, I think have it wrong. If we just think we can do more and try harder to please God by our good works and are enraged when people don't fit that criteria, I I think they have it wrong. Here's my conviction. God loves us and wants us to be happy. (laughs) not shackled by rules, but freed up to enjoy him. And the way he has us to enjoy him is to what? Is to actually find our joy and rest in him. In the midst of all these other competing things that might offer. How do I know they might offer? Because I'm filled with fury. (laughs) Thinking if I just had that, then, then my life would be filled with this joy. God wants us to find our joy and rest in him. So so my encouragement this week, I don't know if this is true for you. God designed us to experience great joy by finding a regular rhythm of rest in him. Do you have a regular rhythm? Is there a rhythm in your week where you find rest in God's provision and his control? Sundays sometimes are that for some. Do you think Sundays are that for me? Not quite. <laughs> but you guys are so gracious to me. On Wednesdays, I meet with our life group coaches Wednesday morning, and then I take Wednesdays to just sit in the text to try and rest in God and his provision. And there's always that temptation that, but what if I just schedule one more meeting on a Wednesday? Then, then I'd really be productive. Do I perfectly apply this rhythm to my life every week? No. But do I fight to try and say, God, I want to rest in you and find a regular rhythm of rest? What I love, though, is is this new. Paul in Romans 14 tells us that there are others that are wrestling with, is the Sabbath a day or, or is it an ongoing thing? Paul doesn't answer. Instead, he tells this in Romans 14. One person esteems one day is better than another, most likely relating to Sabbath, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Because His God is present Monday to Saturday as He is today, yes, And so, sometime this week, I'd encourage 10 minutes to rest. 10 minutes a day. Take some time each day this week to just rest in God. For me, sometimes when I attempt to practice this, I have a notepad next to me. And every time a competing thought comes in my mind, I write it on the notepad. Sometimes there's been a few pages filled on those notepads sitting next to me. What does it really mean to be still and know that he is God? Because that fury and anger starts to rage in my heart because things aren't quite working out the way I would intend them to be. I think actually revealing a fear of what the circumstance might produce if it doesn't go my way. Instead, we step back and apply wisdom and rest in God. And then I would encourage Take some extended time this week. If finding a regular rhythm or an entire day feels too overwhelming for you, to even open up your mind to that, take some extended time this week to rest in God as an act. Extended time is an indefinite period of time, whatever that might look like in your context. Take some extended time this week to rest in God as an act of intentional trust in his provision. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And I want to pray this over us. What's shaping you? How you might know what's shaping you is, what, what causes fury to erupt in your heart? And then evaluate where that might be stemming from. Instead, might we continue to be shaped and renewed by the teachings of the king? So here's the prayer that I want to pray over us. God, help me to listen closely to your teachings so they reshape and renew me to know your truth in whatever you invite me today. God, wherever we might find ourselves on that pendulum swinging too far to hedge protectors or abusing the grace and liberty you provide, help us continue to evaluate (laughs) the decisions we make in our life and continue to find And point people to more life in you. Always for your glory we pray. Amen.